Hi, and welcome to This Is Ibrooks, The Interviews. Our very own Martin Douglas talks with former Rangers player and current FC Cashmere manager David Robertson to discuss his career, Rangers and his current role. Martin started by asking how Davy is coping as the world continues to be gripped by the ongoing COVID-19 outbreak. Shut up and sit down. We really need to start by talking about the this coronavirus and how's it affecting you and your family? Um, well, it's quite hard here. Um, we're, my wife and um, my wife Kim and my son Mason, who plays for Real Kashmir, we are sort of stranded in the northern part of um, India, obviously close to the, the Pakistan border. So um, all the the flights have been cancelled, all the international flights to and from India, and all the domestic flights they've all been cancelled. And we're currently, I think, day five into a a twenty one day lockdown in in India. So that the Prime Minister Modi he um, <clears throat> he sort of instructed that to happen five days ago. But we've been in the hotel. Um, the owner's hotel for probably a week prior to that. Um, no one's been allowed in the hotel. No one's allowed out. There's only obviously myself, Mason. Um, we've got Callum Higginbottom here. We've got two Scottish coaches here, and we've got four African players that are and the owner of the hotel and owner of the club. Um, so we're just sort of stuck, um, almost deserted. Um, obviously, there's not much signs of getting getting home although it's 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 a bit weird you see all the the german government and spanish government american government all that uh, you know getting all their citizens home but the uk don't seem to be doing anything um so it's we missed the the cut off we tried before the cut off to get out of india but we couldn't get it so we're sort of really sort of stranded um in the back of beyond really Are the, is the indian government taking it all quite seriously then yeah yeah, they have. I think India, India, are probably three, four weeks behind like Europe and the US. So um, you know they've sort of seen what's happened, and because there's a population of 1.3 billion, they've decided almost from day one a 21 day lockdown. Flights were cancelled for two weeks, and that's been extended even longer. So um, and you know if you're caught out, I think there's a, an imprisonment or. Um, I've even seen some on TV, some people even getting beaten up if they're outside. So they're they're taking it pretty serious. How are, you, how are you finding being stuck in the hotel with everybody? Because I've been in lockdown now for six days with my family and I'm, I'm ready to tear my hair out. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 difficult. Um, I mean, being at the El Kashmir at times, you know, you're, you're sort of, you have to go without internet. Um, you get isolated from time to time. But to be honest with you, it's... Um, it's, it'd be a lot easier being at home. We've got two of our kids at home. Um, it's, it's very difficult. The days are so long. You you sort of you try and go to bed late, so you sleep in longer. And then once you wake up, you know the you look forward to your lunch and then a cup of coffee about five o'clock and then um, dinner at eight. So that's that's about the highlights of the day. There's a gym here that I keep threatening to go to, so I can't be that bored that I haven't actually went yet. So I've, I've threatened and threatened. I've put I put a pair of shorts on one day thinking to go but it never happened so um, but as I say it's, it'd be I'd prefer to be in my house um, with family you know or, or, or obviously with Kim and um, our kids 
Um, you know, you could go in the garden, you can do stuff in the house. We're renovating, in the middle of renovating the house as well, so it would be probably better time spent there. But it's just, um, it is what it is. And, you know, we're, we're, I mean, I suppose at the moment we're, we're in a safe place, um, sort of locked in a bit, but safe enough. Well, yeah, I've, I've got a, a cross trainer that multi purposes as a clothes horse, so I know how you feel. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I know, I know what you like, yeah. <laughs> Um, so was was management always something that you were going to get into then? No, it wasn't. No, I'd, when I was playing, it was the last thing I ever thought about doing. And, and I think probably all the players I've played with over the years probably thought I would be the last guy to be a, a manager of a team, and, and particularly where I am now. Um, but it's just it's something that you know I, I feel when you play, you, you take it for granted, and you don't think what's going to happen after that. Um, and then for me, it's more a case of the the winning and losing, the highs and lows of of you know, the competitive part, that's the things that I, I really miss. Um, it's, a, it's a bit like a drug to me. I have to have the, even even when you lose games, you've got the determination and okay, it's it's disappointing, but then you just work harder to, to try and win the next game and when you win, it's a great feeling. Just like when you played and um, and it's, it's, as I say, it's not something I, I ever thought I would do, but Somehow I found myself in here and started to do coaching badges and started at um, Montrose, Elgin, then back to Montrose. Then I went to Phoenix and I, I coached there for 10 years, ran a, a youth organisation um, and coached a, a USL team, which is now called Phoenix Rising, and was a head coach there. And um, So football, as I said, I, th- I think I, I'd always planned when I stopped playing football that, I'm not saying I wouldn't do anything, but... I'll probably walk away from football, but it's 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 a game that I can't do without. And we've all seen the the, the documentary, and we've all seen the bit where you you kind of lose the plot, so to speak. So, what what kind of manager are you? Are you a, are you more an Alex Ferguson? Or? No, I think I've got a bit of both. I think here, um, <clears throat> you know, I'm, I'm very I wouldn't say friendly with the players, but I got on well with the players. I look after them. Um, I know what each of them, what they need if they need a kick up the backside and arm around around you. But I think in the documentary you, you see that the most of it's all the frustrations that I've got to deal with, um, mainly off the field. Um, because when you think about the club as a whole, when I first started, um, there was no changing rooms. It, what, the club had just only started within League Two. Um, they didn't have training kit. I think each player took their own ball. Um, you know, like even the players, it was winter time. They're wearing like Manchester United tracksuits and Liverpool um, jackets. Um, it was just like Ragars Rovers, really. And there were no dressing rooms, no floodlights. There was nothing. Um, and, and step by step, um, you know, we're now the only club in India that's sponsored by Adidas. We've got, you know, the, the government built dressing rooms. We've got floodlights. Um, and we're one of the sort of, we're quite a, a famous club throughout the world in terms of where we are and and the rise to fame and, and how it's all happened um, and also the 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 various things that we've got to overcome but um i think it's you know a bit even even now you know there's you know just for example um you know we're sponsored by adidas and i told them at the end of last season before i went away with training kits make sure each player has four or five black t-shirts or just all one color but again they give you five different colors <laughs> and then even just trying to coordinate them coming to training and maybe a player's lost a, a t-shirt or it's it's gone missing in the laundry 
Um, it's just, it's it's almost like every day you wake up and there's going to be some issue or some problem to overcome. And I get used to it, um, but at times it it frustrates me. And, um, you know, I, I think here that the culture where we are, um, apart from the, the ownership group, everybody else tends to think, they don't think ahead. You know, they'll, they'll come up to you and say, oh, 10 minutes before, 10's a way to start. Oh, I forgot the balls or I forgot the bibs or or something. And and that's why I lose my head and I get all, you know, basically pissed off and, you know, start having a go at the, the nearest person to me. And and I think I'm not getting any younger. I'm 51 now. So they say as you get older, you get grumpier and grumpier. And, and I think I, I am. But I think at times I've got a, I've got good cause um, to blow up now and again. And, and everybody just accepts it and they just go on with it. Well, I'm sure I had somewhere at fifties and now forty, but um, not 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 here. I think I've aged, I think I'm actually about sixty. I think I've aged about ten years being here. Not, not lost um, ten years. Like you say, that must be really difficult then, because you played at, at Aberdeen under Fergie, you played at Rangers under Walter, and then he maybe came in to manage at sort of what sounds like junior level with the the facilities and stuff. That must be really difficult to get your head around. You know, it was hard at the start. Um, I, I just think, to be honest with you, it's, um, <clears throat> I sort of went in with, my, with no idea what I was going into. And But I think, to be honest, how quickly the club's grown. You know, we won the league and went unbeaten. And then we went into the big league, the big professional league here, and uh, finished third in the first season, which exceeded any expectation. And, um, you know, there's um, Bollywood... There's a Bollywood production company that's going to do a, a a movie on us, a Bollywood movie with actors, and there's another documentary here, obviously with the BBC one, and um, the other one, the new one comes out, I think the end of April. Um, I think, mate, I don't, I don't know how when it'll be with the, the current situation, but I think it's virtually finished now, so that's coming on, and um, but I just think. The rise to the to where where the club was to where it is now is it's it's absolutely incredible. And I don't think any other clubs um, done it. Um, but having said that, there's been so many frustrations along the way and things you take for granted back home, even like internet, even electricity, phoning home, um, even even facilities. I mean, where we train's good. It's a, it's a pitch because it's an astroturf pitch, so we can train and play there. But before that. Um, you know, we're training in, in, in sort of horrible, bumpy parks. And um, I, you had players that would make excuses about not coming to training. I had one guy called Akib, who's no longer here. This was right to start. Um, he wouldn't show up to training one day. And I asked him the next day, where were you? He said, I punctured on his, his bike, um, his motorbike. Um, and then about two weeks later, he sent me a picture with him standing next to his bike pointing a finger to his burst tyre on his bike and I thought okay <laughs> fair enough and then um, about three weeks went past and he sent me the same picture again oh. same picture so obviously he didn't last too long but <laughs> but here you, we've got, you've got to be careful here as well when you sort of discipline people um, because what happens is they're, they're so family orientated and somebody will say oh I can't come to training my third cousin's in hospital with an infection um, and I'm thinking, well, you know, you know, you see all all around the world, you know, you get you get, um, you know, like professional football players that maybe their parents pass on, pass away, and um, you know they might get a day off for the funeral, but they're back training again. These guys, 
And I think it's you. You've got to be careful because you might offend some of them just with our, with our culture. And that's the thing that I've had to deal with is, um, you know, just you know, um, respect everybody's culture and you know, time give and take a little bit. We've got one player who's played every game since I've come to the club. He's probably the best Kashmiri um, um, at the club called Farhan. Um, he's a bit like well, he's. He smokes about 40 a day. <laughs> um, and um, Although you never ever see him unless you're in an airport and he's in a smoking lounge. Um, you see you see him through the window. Um, but he's he's a guy that what happens is you, you'll play you'll play a game and maybe a few games and they'll say, right, okay, end the end of last season, we the season finished with a break, a three week break until the Super Cup came. So I gave them all five days off. But the problem is when you give Farhan, you know, a few days off, he forgets to come back. Um, and then he's always changing his mobile phone so you can never get in touch with him. And then this particular time, um, and he speaks no English. He's, he's probably the only player that can't speak any English. Um, so I, I find it difficult, but, you know, I think we, somehow he understands what I want. Um, so what one day within the hotel, I was in the hotel and he was staying at home and I hadn't seen him for a long time. I'm asking people, where is he, where is he, no one knew. He comes to the hotel and I got a call to reception to go down and talk to him. So I go downstairs and for hands standing there and I'm thinking this isn't going to go well because I've got no idea what he's going to say. So luckily there was someone there to help interpret. So anyway, he basically said that he apologises for not coming to training for the past few days because he was, su- he was um, suffering out of body experiences. And he's going to a mon- a mo- he's on his way to a monastery and to see a monk and hopefully if that all works out, he'll be back at training tomorrow. So, oh. just <laughs> obviously a pack, obviously a pack of lies, but <laughs> but you get to the point when you you don't even you don't even what do you call it you don't even ask questions anymore. You just oh, okay whatever. And you you find them now and again, um, <clears throat> but when you find the players, particularly from Kashmir, they've got no idea why they're getting fined because mm-hmm. it's just the way they are. They just they show up and come and go as the police. What kind of a level are the players in over there, David? Because obviously there's a, a lot of people over here who don't really know much about Indian football, and we hear a lot about the the cricket over there and how much money gets put into that. But what, yeah. what kind, what kind <coughs> yeah. of level are the players? Well, I think the player, I, I would think they're probably the top end of the championship in Scotland and the bottom end of the the SPL. Um, <coughs> I would I would think. You know, my son Mason, he's here. Um, and obviously Callum Higginbottom's here. He was at Partick and Kilmarnock, and and then we've got, you know, we've got a player, Adam Katebi's uh, Zambian international. We've got players from Ghana, Ivory Coast. Um, so the the level's pretty good, um, and and it's getting big. It's getting better all the time. So um, you know, a lot of people because they don't know the level, they think, oh, it's not a great level. It's it's a poor level, but it's not. It's actually a a very good level. And the reason for that is that. There's a lot of Africans play here. You're allowed six foreign players, five can start the game. Um, and, and there's players that are probably good enough to play in the Premier League in Scotland, I would say. Um, but the problem is they haven't played X amount of times for their country, so they can't get uh, work permits and visas. And India's the easiest yeah. place to get a, a visa. So I think um, that's why I think the le- that's why the level's very good. Um, I was I was actually also going to ask you. We hear a lot in this country um, about the <clears throat> the poorness of referees. What's the refereeing standard like over there? And does it really frustrate you? <clears throat> well, it's we've had, believe it or not, in the last two games we've had the most horrendous decisions ever. Um, so <clears throat> there was one 
that we're playing against a team called Morocco at home, and two of their players, two of their Morocco players, one tackled tackled the other one like like in his chest. He was obviously didn't know where the ball was. He turned around and, and stuck the chest, his foot on his his own player's chest, and the, the guy goes down. And the, and they sent the Morocco player off, gave him a red card. <laughs> and um, but then eventually the fourth official. Um, it's on TV. All the games are live on TV and things like that. And the fourth official had to basically radio on and say, "Listen, that can't happen. That can't happen." Um, so obviously that got rescinded. And then we just played a game against East Bengal just recently, and it all kicked off because the referee um, lost control of the game. Callum Callum got sent off. Um, I think we got three players sent off. They got one player sent off. Um, and it all came by um, the referee lost control because about what maybe 20 minutes into the game one of our players Danish gets a yellow card it was a, ta- a tackle okay you could say it was a yellow card no problem then he um, was running towards goal but he played the ball goal got played through him he went across a goalkeeper no he went across a player and he stumbled he sort of tripped himself up by accident and then as he went down he got caught um, by a player it wasn't a penalty kick anyway he gets a second. I think the referee forgot he gave him a yellow card. Gave him a second. A yellow card then thought to himself, shit, I've already had his second one, so he sent him off. And then one of our players um, got involved in something, so he couldn't sit. He was trying to even it up, and he just lost control of it. And at the end, there was a riot, a riot at the end of the game. There were supporters on the pitch. Um, all sorts of things were going on. And, um, you know, it's obviously there's a lot of discipline stuff going on at the AIFF because of it. But you know they all make mistakes, but sometimes, um, some, sometimes they just, um, you know, they make it hard for themselves. You know, the as I say that that was in two weeks, um, and and there's been a lot of you know bad decisions. I remember one time last season we were playing against Chennai City, um, and we were getting absolutely battered. There was nothing each with 20 minutes to go, and our player basically he, he tried to shield the ball, and the guy moved out of the way, and he sort of fell. And the referee gave us a penalty kick, and it was never a penalty kick. Um, and then anyway, we won the game. So I think it all evened itself up. But I, I think it, it's difficult. But in India, it's 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 very hard because we've got there's a, a team called Indian Arrows that play in the league. They're like a developmental team. They're like the I think it's the India Under 21s national team that play in the league. So uh, just to give them a bit of experience and what have you. And you'll find that referees protect them so much. I mean, we've got. You, there's guys there played for them 17 or 18, and I've got this player, six foot seven, African um, from Ivory Coast, big Crizzo, and um, anytime he gets the ball, even if he's shielding the ball, his elbows are up, and um, yellow card, free kick. Um, so it's 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 actually it can be frustrating a little bit. It sounds like uh, Wally Collum might fit right in over there. Uh, well, it's funny because uh, it's funny because when we were. <laughs> That name gets mentioned a lot in training when we're making decisions in training. You get like you know Jimmy, Jimmy or Jonathan uh, shouting, "Will I call him?" and stuff like that. So it's it's fun. It's good. Yeah, well, it's necessary. Um, yeah. Over here, obviously, we've got the the Europa League and the Champions League. Is there any equivalent yep. over in uh, for you guys in India? Yeah, there's the Asian Champions League. So at the moment, the league's been suspended, and we are, I think, we're about. We've got a game. We've got a game in hand. We've got five games left. But we've got played a game less than everybody. And for to win that game, we'd end up. We'd be second in the league, and that qualifies you for the the Asian Champions League. So, 
Um, it's a similar. There's a Champions League here, so uh, obviously if we were to finish second, I, I don't know what's going to happen with the league. It's obviously been suspended, but um, so the winner goes to the the Champions League, and so does the second place. Um, what, what I was actually going to say, it was just just on the league's getting suspended. Have you get any kind of idea what should happen, or are you just going to leave it and and just obviously see what comes? Well, I just see what comes, but you know it's it's difficult um, because when you look at all the leagues around the world, you know obviously you look at Celtic as well. You know it's it's a big it's a big year for them, and you know and if I mean I, I've heard a lot of people saying that really the season either has to continue or it's null and void. Um, and then I, I just look at like you look at the Scottish league. Okay, Celtic are probably you know far enough ahead. But then you've got Dungeon United are trying to get up, and then you've got Hearts that have got a good chance of, you know, not being relegated, and then you've got the the playoffs, you know, the second bottom against the the Championship teams, then the other leagues as well. It's like what happens to them? They've put money in, um, it's it's a real tough call, and, and I, I'll be honest with you, I've got no idea what the the solution, you know, should be. Um, and India, I mean, just if we look at the league we're in, um, apart from the second place. Everything else is, you know, so, uh, much, it's almost settled. You know, Mohan Baganov, they've already won the league. They won it pretty early, you know, apart from the second place. And, you know, even our league, there's, there's probably, what, about 10 points separate second to 11. So in theory, anybody could get relegated. So I think what I think what the league might do here is just... I don't know about the Champions League spot, but I think they might just sort of call it as it is because Mohan Bagan have won the league, but they're actually going to merge with um, ATK and play in the, in the ISL. Um, and then they'll have no relegation this year. So um, our league's almost sort of easy to to sort out, but all the other ones with playoffs and big money and, you know, like Hearts, for example. I mean, I mean, if, if you were the owner of Hearts, you'd be pretty pissed off that, you know, oh, well, we just called it now and because um, they'll lose a hell of a lot of money and they know what it's like. They've already been down the championships. I think, I don't know who's, how they're going to make the decisions, if it's FIFA or UEFA are going to make the decision for everybody or is it going to be each league or organisation that's going to, to deal with it? I just don't know. Yeah, that's going to be the, the big problem and that's when you're going to start seeing, <clears throat> excuse me, lawyers involved and stuff. Um, yeah. you, you, you were mentioning Hearts there and obviously Hearts have recently come out and asked everybody to take a, a 50% wage cut to have redundancies. <clears throat> How are Real Kashmir um, dealing financially? We, we know football, does it affect you as much? Um, well, all the games are, we get we get around about 20,000 at a game um, although it only holds it has, it's had to be restricted with um, various things that go on here just some you know political issues have been here They've had to restrict it, but you know we're getting it holds fourteen thousand, but we're getting about ten or twelve. But normally we get about twenty thousand at the games, um, and obviously it's free. There's no there's no charge to get in. Um, so I think the owners, you know, is a very he's a very also a very wealthy businessman, and he's a a very generous person. And you know, there's been no sign of anybody taking pay cuts or or anything. Um, but he's he'll come in the dressing room before games and. You know, a lot of clubs have been at before. There's a bonus structure, but he won't. He'll just come in and say, right, OK, maybe five minutes before the start of the game, here's a bonus today. It's maybe 30,000 rupees, which is 300 pounds. Or, um, you know, he's, he's good that way. Um, 
and he knows that obviously it's you know football is very difficult to make any money out of it um, and you know I think we've I think the players get paid until the end of April anyway so after that um, <clears throat> the season's um, there's a break before players get paid again till we start again until probably August or, or September whenever we start um, but, I, but I've seen it throughout and I think clubs um, I think players really have to realise the situation as well is that you know, it's it's no one's fault really, but the clubs have to survive. Otherwise, players don't have jobs. No, oh, absolutely, absolutely. And j- just finally on uh, uh, Real Cashmere, uh, David, what's your sort of kind of a immediate and, and long term aims? Is it just to to get into that uh, that Champions League, possibly win the league? Yeah, I think. Well, each year we're we're getting stronger and stronger, and, and next season we want to really challenge to to try and win the league next year. Um, and obviously, at the worst, get in the in the Champions League, which we had a decent shot of this year. We just missed out on that last year. But I think we are really, you know, um, I think I've been in here long enough now when the owner's ambitious and, you know, I, I might try and get some more players from Europe um, to sort of bolster this, maybe more experienced players. So that's that, that's a plan. But I do feel we... We could, we've got a, a good chance next year. You know, it's this is would be my second almost full season um, in this I League, and you know, I've, I've sort of worked it out pretty good. No, but absolutely. Well, all, all the all the best for for the seasons to come whenever they they start back. Yep, exactly. <laughs> um, if I could just actually just a quick couple of questions on uh, Rangers just now, and it was just, what do you make as a manager of the job that Steven Gerrard's done since he came into the club? Yeah, no, I think he's done a fantastic job, and I always said when <clears throat> when Gerard got in, got the job there, that because of who he is and his reputation, his playing career and his fame, that he'll get you know more time than what most other managers would. You know, I think Warburton and um, Coutinho were always um, under a lot of pressure from day one. Um, I'm, I'm not, I don't think it was a, a fan. They're never fans' favourites, I wouldn't say, um, but I think. I've always thought Stephen Gerrard coming in is a bit like a Graham Souness move for the mm-hmm. club. You know, somebody that hasn't really coached for very long, um, but obviously a great reputation. And as soon as somebody like Stephen Gerrard, you know, goes into the Ibrox dressing room, you'll get instant respect because of who he is. And I think that's helped him. And I, and I think he's, you know, bit by bit, he's, you know, made the club more and more successful. Um, but the one thing that I think the same as every other Rangers supporter is that. Um, you know, after the break when they've come back, you know, I just don't know what's happened. Um, but I think maybe he's realised that some of the players that he's got aren't consistent enough, or or maybe feel too comfortable um, within the setup. And and I think he'll he'll make. I think he's going to make you know big changes next year. Well, actually, he just stole my next question. It was just about it's because it's been two years in a row now at January that that we've we seem to have just capitulated and. As a manager, when you look at that, how can you possibly explain the exact same capitulation two years in a row? Um, I think you can. Um, I, I don't know if it's a, if it's how I many of the existing players are still there, but maybe it's a bit of pressure because um, you know you're coming to the the turn of the year when it's almost the home straight to the the league title. You know, Rangers signed off this the first part of the season by beating Celtic, and then the they come back and, and they started, you know, pretty slack. And but I think, for me, it's, it goes down to the players' character. Maybe they're not strong enough, or 
are have got enough bottle to go and continue what they they've started off. Because I think at the at the start of the season, I always remember when I was at Rangers. I remember when Ali McCoy says it's you know every time we around about December time we were never flying away with the league. Sometimes we're even second or third in the league. Um, and it was just the the home straight that we had the more sort of bottle and more determination than than other other clubs around us. You know, Aberdeen or Celtic, or I remember Motherwell and Hearts a few times were were up there. But we had the the bottle and the desire. Um, and and I, th- I think I'm not saying they don't have the players don't have the bottle, but to play for Rangers, you're expected to to win every single game. Um, there's no excuses, um, and you can tell by Stephen Gerrard's post-match interviews he never hides you know he always takes the blame himself and he, he says how it is which is good that's what the, the every supporter wants to hear but I just think that they probably need players with a bit I'm not, I, don't, I don't even know it's experience of of winning cups or, or what have you but I think just a bit more desire and, and probably the bottle when, when the real games matter because you know it's I think they've always been good at playing against the you know the bigger teams you know they've done a good run in Europe this year They've, um, you know, they beat Celtic at the, at the tail end of of the year, um, but it's it's the teams that, you know, the lower I'm not saying the lower level teams, but the teams near the bottom of the league. It's it's that, those ones who struggle a little bit, and they should really be tearing them apart. And that's the secret to to winning leagues is, you know, it's okay getting yourself up for the big games, but you've got to do it um, in the other games. You know, I always found that you go to we used to go to places like Brockville and Broomfield, and there were hard places to go, and and you couldn't play gay, you couldn't play the way you want to play. You just had to dig out the results, you know. And that's why we were successful with guys like, you know, John Brown, Dave McPherson, uh, Stuart McCall, guys that would just battle and battle and battle and kick anything that moved to win games. Well, you're talking about bottle there, and a man who plays in your position now, Borna Barisic. Could you believe the turnaround in Borna? Because when he first came in, a lot of people were saying, oh, he doesn't have the bottle to play for Rangers. He was yeah. injured all the time. And then all of a sudden, now Roma are looking at him for a possible 15 million. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah I think that's how, that's how a lot of it, it goes. You know, sometimes, I know with foreign players, we've had, a, we had many players when we were there coming in that, like Basil Bolly and Joachim Bjorklund, they, they all found it a bit difficult to struggle in, to, to settle in at the start. Um, and eventually, you look at Bjorklund. You know he struggled a bit. He left and went to Valencia and won the, and won the Champions League with them. You know, and then you get guys like Peter Van Vossen. You know, played in World Cups. He struggled at Rangers. And but I think it, it takes time because you know I think you know when you, you look at the countries they've came from. Um, you know, it, it's total football, and you know, and, and in Scotland, you know, you're going to Dingwall, you're going to Inverness. You know, you're, you're going all sorts of places on a Tuesday night, it's pouring the rain and gale force winds. Um, so it takes a bit of time to, to settle in as well. And, and maybe, you know, when you play for the Angels and you put that jersey on, it's the expectations, as I said before, if you, you're expected to win every game, no matter how good the club's going in, in the league, you're expected to win every game. And, and some players take a little bit of time to settle in and some players can't do it. I suppose as supporters we're a wee bit pig-headed because we just assume that every player that comes to Rangers uh, lives and breathes it the same as us. And I suppose we can't really accept it when a player... We, we don't feel that a player's putting in 100%. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think it's, it's that they're not putting under a, um, 100%. I think a lot of it's to do with you know their, their mental state and you know are they can they play in front of 50,000 people? You know, because a lot of it's... 
and, and it's a passionate support at Rangers. Um, and I've found that over the years at different places I've gone to play at and teams you play against, the atmosphere's different. But at Rangers, you know, they just demand... Because every, every, every person in that stadium wants to wear a, a Rangers jersey and they expect every player <clears throat> that pulls on a Rangers jersey to have the same passion and same feelings as they have. Well, I, would, I would love to pull on a Rangers jersey. I just kind of get one to fit. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, I'm like that now. <laughs> um, if we just take a wee quick look at, at your early life, um, David, and I was wondering, what was Aberdeen like to grow up in the early 70s? Um, <clears throat> no, I... It was it was just like I think like everywhere else. Um, the only difference between like say Glasgow and Aberdeen, there was no ash pitches, no blaze pitches, so we never get so many skint knees as as people did in in Glasgow. But you know, I was I was didn't even start playing football until I was I think it was seven or eight. Um, I wasn't interested in football, and then it wasn't until Aberdeen won the the cup, the the League Cup, they beat Celtic two one um, at Hamden. Um, they won the League Cup in 1976 and it was just then that suddenly I, I just wanted to play football and um, I mean people laugh when I, I played for the, I tried out for the primary school team at eight and um, I never never made the team and I got a, I got told at school on the Friday um, I, well I got told earlier in the week that I didn't make the team, I wasn't good enough and then um, someone called off and, and I was a sub and um, I was actually put on as a sub and then taken off again. I was that bad. Um, and then after that, for some reason, I just kept playing in the back garden uh, at my mum and dad's house. Um, I had, a, had a, a swing. Well, my sister had a swing that um, a lot of my mum's family come from Peterhead. So there was obviously fishermen and stuff. So I got this old fish net, fishing, fishing net um from a trawler and just draped it over this um, swing. So my sister never got to use a swing anymore. And all I did was just play, hit the ball off a wall, hit it into the into the net, into my 10 goal. Um, and then then suddenly, just by sheer practice, I ended up getting in all the, the select teams and, and finally ended up um, um, signing an S form. I think it was at 13. Alec Ferguson asked me to go to sign an S form just a week after I got asked to go to, to Manchester United um, because they couldn't sign players till they were 14 but they wanted me to go there and train for the, for the school holidays um, but no it was good and, and at that time Aberdeen were <clears throat> um, successful I'd go and watch Aberdeen with my dad and it was a they were a real you know because at that point Aberdeen were challenging Rangers and Celtic they were winning things and you know they had some obviously players like Willie Miller McLeish who I was fortunate enough to end up playing with, you know, guys like Joe Harper. Um, and I, I, I used to remember, you know, I was my idol at when I was a kid was was Joe Harper. And then, um, you know, once you, I was fortunate with Alec Ferguson because, um, you know, I was playing the reserves at 14. I even remember playing against Derek Johnston at Pataudry. At that point, he was, a, he was playing as a centre-back. He was in the reserves. I don't know how old he was then. Um, and I, at that point, I was a, a fought a striker at the time, so I was right up against Derek Johnston. I think John McDonald played that day as well. It's one of the games that I really remember the most. I actually scored my, I actually scored two goals for Rangers when I was at Aberdeen in the reserves. Um, we were, we were winning two nothing. Uh, no, in fact, we were winning one nothing. Twenty minutes to go, and I scored two own goals. So I started my scoring goals for Rangers at an early age. See the right, the writing was on the wall then. Exactly. <clears> yeah. 
Uh, just on, on Peterhead, my, my great uncle's a massive Berwick supporter, Berwick Rangers, and I went up yep. to Peterhead to watch Peterhead versus Berwick. It is the coldest place I have ever <coughs> been in my life. Oh, it's, it's horrendous. Well, Mason, my son, he played there before he came over to India, and I'll never forget going to Balmore. And oh, I don't know what, but it must have been, um, it must have been, I think it was maybe even March, I think it was. And it was so windy that the, the ball wouldn't even go out the 18 yard box. The goalkeeper couldn't kick it out of the 18 yard box. And and I was just watching the game, I'm just thinking that must be absolutely. And Mason said it's horrendous playing there. Yeah, well, I'll show you how pig headed some Rangers supporters are. I walked into the, the, the ground up there and I says, Where's the away end? Yeah, so. <laughs> exactly. But that's that's how big headed some fans are. But you you, you kind of got your start in there and the first team at Aberdeen at seventeen. Now that must have yeah. been quite daunting getting in there with your Willie Mills and your Alec McLeishes and yeah, like. I found that hard because I obviously idolised those people. I've I've even, I'd even had when Aberdeen won that cup in seventy six. I've even got autographs of Willie Miller and all those guys. And I mean, I was in a a pretty good team at Aberdeen when I first got in. You know, it was Jim Layton was in goals. It was McLeish and Miller, McKimmy, Jim Bett, Billy Stark, Peter Weir was there, um, John Hewitt, Davy Dodds, uh, I think Frank McDougall was there as well. So we had a, it was a, it was almost a bit unreal um, that I actually because um, before, as I said, to you, I would go with my dad to watch the games. And one of the funniest things I ever had, uh, well, how my life changed. When I got my first game for Aberdeen, we were. I used to go to my dad. We'd go to the Bonacore Golf Club across the road um, before games, and in those days there was no mobile phones, so I, I couldn't contact my dad or anything. So what would ha- the, the daily routine would be? Um, I'd go to the golf club with my dad. He'd go in the in the bar. I would have to sit in with all the kids because I was only 17, 16, 17, and he would come through a bag of crisps and a coke for me. Um, and then he'd go to the game. I'd go in the front entrance bit because all of his, all the young boys got to do that. And then um, this one day, same same setup. I was sitting in there. Um, no, no, in fact, I, I was actually had to go for a pre-match meal that day. That's what it was. Um, so I did that. And then I a sub. I didn't even expect only two subs in those days. And normally they would t- Fergie would take maybe eighteen players, and you know. Two or three of them would be young players, and, and the the week before I was one of the young boys in the stand, and then suddenly I was I was on the on the bench, which was a total shock. I didn't even know until I think it was two o'clock, um, and I couldn't even tell my dad had no mobile phone, nothing. So he had no idea. So obviously he's he's watching the game, and here's his son warming up behind the goal, and here's him coming on. No idea what's going on. So then I had no car in, in those days, so I had to go back into the golf club. Um, so I thought I would just wait in the in the locker room like I normally did, but I was taken through into the bar. Um, I got asked to sign autographs, and then somebody bought me a beer, and I was still 17. A week earlier, I wasn't even in the, allowed in the bar. <laughs> how how is that actually? That was one thing I was going to ask. You see, as when you when you come through as a professional player at Aberdeen Rangers or whatever you go. Is it difficult getting stopped all the time, asked for autographs? I had people that you don't know coming up to you going, "Oh, how David, hi David, how are you?" <clears throat> yeah, I, I found I find I found it really hard. Um, that's the one thing I liked when I went to America was that nobody knew who I was, and it's not it's not a big headed attitude. It's just that I just think I'm a, I'm a normal person. I'm not any better than anyone else, and 
I found it a bit. I, I know over the years people have said, oh, he's arrogant or he's just dead quiet or whatever, but I'm actually I sort of shun away from those things because I don't think I'm famous. I don't think I'm anything special. I'm just a, a normal person. And I found it very, very difficult when people ask me for autographs because I'm thinking I'm just I'm just a normal guy. Um, and, and that's something I've always had about myself. And, um, and, and sometimes I wouldn't say I would have avoided it, but I would, I could see somebody come and you think, oh no, I know, and and I maybe came across arrogant, but that certainly wasn't how I how I am. No, I know how you feel. I've I've got about four hundred followers on Twitter, so I try and <laughs> keep, my, yeah, exactly, keep my, yeah. my head on the ground. But uh, yeah. just 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 come back to that Aberdeen team, and like you said, you won the League Cup in '89 and the Scottish Cup in 1990 against Celtic, and there was absolutely no fear. I know it wasn't really the same kind of Rangers team as. As, as, as what it yeah. was when Sinus came in, but there was no fear of playing the old forum back then. No, I, I think that's because I was Willie Miller and Alton McLeish in the team at, at that point. Um, and then they, they were obviously used to, they had that really successful side, you know, winning the league, um, you know, a couple of times in the Cup Winners' Cup against Madrid and the Super Cup. And, you know, and I, I think it was those two that really spurred things on. Um, but I think I did when Alec Ferguson left there, you could just tell there was a, it was almost like a funeral the day after Ferguson left to go to Manchester United. It was just like a, uh, it was like, as if it had been a death. That's how bad Petrodri was. It was just um, a horrible place for, you know, a while after that. And and then, I think, you know, I I, I think, um, obviously, Willem Miller was coming to the end of his career. You know, Jim Layton moved on to, to Manchester United and, and the team just, I'm not saying I didn't have the belief because Fergie was the belief. Um, and I think, you know, Ian Portfield came in after that and then there was Alex Smith and Willie Miller was the manager. And I just feel that, you know, it's like the, the problem Manchester United have got now, you can never follow um, Fergie. That's the that's the the part of it. And, and I think the passion, when he left, the passion, the desire really sort of went with him. I like you say, you're, you're definitely seeing that at, at Manchester United just now. Um, but, but then you moved to Rangers for, for just under a million and as, as a kind of proud Aberdonian was it a difficult move to make? Um, no it was it was it was hard in a way I mean I think for me the, the way I, I felt was that um, I'm still playing against the same teams I'm obviously going to a bigger club and a better club and um, it was almost like a, an easier step to take um, but I Obviously, with my dad, it was very difficult. Um, you know, he's a he's an Aberdeen supporter, and you know, I'm not saying he wasn't happy, but you know, he obviously had his reservations about me going. Um, so I went, I went there, and as I said, I've got no fear. I'll go and, and try anything, and um, and it wasn't until I actually signed for Rangers that I really realised how big you know Rangers are as a club. You know, I got first of all, you got to wear, in those days, you had to wear a collar and tie to go to training. You met by Stan, the commissioner. You're then passed on to Jimmy Bell, and then you know, you walk in the Rangers dressing room, and you know here's McCoyst, Hately, um, who else was there? It was Terry Harlock, Mo Johnson, um, Ali McCoyst, Ian Durant, all all the big, the big names. Mikhailochenko was there at the time. Andy Gorham had just signed. Stuart McCall. So it was walking into, you know, like a a room of basically superstars really and, and Jimmy Bell there was no kit numbers at that time he just had a training number and Jimmy Bell says to me he says uh, 
He says, here's you, here's you here, number six. He says, you've got big shoes to fill. That's Terry Butcher's, that's Terry Butcher's number. <laughs> and I goes, oh, my God. And I'm thinking, put me under pressure straight away. So it was a real eye-opener joining the club. And But I always had the, a lot of people ask me about, because at that point, it was I think it was the biggest fee that Aberdeen had ever received. And it, it was done through a tribunal. So um, it wasn't a, an agreed fee in those days. Rangers offered something, Aberdeen wanted X, and then everybody has to go to the SFA or the Scottish League and they decide over a table what, what the, the fee is. And, and a lot of people ask me, are you bothered or you feel pressure that that, that that's kind of money? Do you feel pressure that you have to produce? And, and to be honest with you, I, I was almost of the impression that I'm, I'm actually flattered that somebody would even pay that money for me. And that actually gave me confidence um, to go and to go and play and and I think from day one the Rangers supporters I'm not saying they took to me but you know they accepted me and I settled in pretty well. We have we have actually seen players that have struggled with with the fees that have been paid for them. We just look at Ryan Kent this season at Rangers. Yeah. And he seems to be struggling with the way and that was what, seven million we paid for him. And I suppose yeah. back then nine hundred seventy thousand back then is, is is quite a lot in today's money. Um, but yeah. yeah. The, did your dad have come to Ibrox and watch the games? No, he did, yeah. I mean, um, <clears throat> he was, he, he always came, and, and it wasn't until, he never really sort of gave his approval until maybe, I think it is, I don't know if it's halfway through that season or the following season. It was almost, he sort of says to me, you know, son, that's, that's uh, the best decision you've ever made. And yeah, he had obviously reservations because of the, you know, the, the, the bitter rivalry between Rangers and Aberdeen. And, and I felt that um, he was, you know, he came to every game, and, and my brother. He, it was funny because he came to every game, and he was he was actually quite funny because he said to me, he says, you know, I was an Aberdeen supporter, and then I was going to watch Rangers. He was I was actually confused. He <laughs> says um, I was actually confused um, as to what am I a Rangers supporter? Am I an Aberdeen supporter? And he says as soon as he, you know, as soon as I signed for Leeds United. Um, my brother then realised that he's actually an Aberdeen supporter. So, um, <laughs> so now, he, I mean, he lives in Oban and he goes, um, he, he drives up every game Aberdeen from Oban uh, to watch him. So he's a, a real Aberdeen supporter. But, um, you know, my dad was a little bit hesitant, obviously, because my career to that point had gone well. And, you know, like you say, it's a lot of people go to Rangers and sometimes they fail. Did you ever look up in the stands after the goal to see if your dad was celebrating? No, I was too many. Um, no, no, no. Well, and plus, I never scored that many either. Um, no, no, no. But he, he was good. He would come to all the, like, we played Leeds United and the Marseille games and Juventus and all that. So he was always coming to the games. And I think it was more to support um, his son more than anything. I don't know. My son signed for Celtic. I'm not sure. I'm not oh, sure. You, better not, you better not repeat that. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> was there any kind of similarities in management style between um, Walter Smith and Sir Alex? I think I think I like, uh, Walter Smith. What I liked about the, the one thing I liked about Walter Smith more than anything, obviously his, his man management was good. He would often when we played Aberdeen um, away, he would on a we train on a Thursday morning the game. Say the game's on a Saturday, just to say get yourself up the road, see your family, and um, I'll see you at the hotel on Friday night. And he trusted me to go and do a bit on my own and on Friday. And then if he'd win, he'd tell me to keep, have take a couple of days off and stay up in Aberdeen and. Um, but to be fair, he, the one thing he said to me when I first signed for him, he says, uh, he says, listen, you look after me and I'll look after you. Um, and it was a, I think he gave me one bollocking um, once 
um, in six years there, which I thought was good. We, we played um, Hibs in the semi-final League Cup and, and Keith Wright scored um, to put us out of the cup and he absolutely slaughtered me after the game about, you're a Rangers player, I don't care if you um, kick the ball out of the park every time you get it, you must keep taking the ball. And um, and that's the one and only time he's ever had a go at me. So, he's, But his style was good. Um, he managed to keep players that weren't playing happy. Um, and then, if you remember the time, there was the, the Falkirk. We lost to Falkirk in the League Cup, I think it was. We got knocked out. It might have been, who was it? Somebody knocked us out. Um, Athens, I think Athens knocked us out um, of the, the Champions League. And we got beat by Celtic. And, you know, people were sort of calling for Walter Smith's head then. And, and the one thing was he never showed it. He never showed it in the, any pressure he was under. Never showed it to the players. And I think that's why we were successful, that even if we'd lose a game, the preparation for the next game was the same. His demeanour would never change. and um, Yeah, he, he would go and have a go at players, you know, now and again. Um, but I think with Alec Ferguson, in his early days, he was he was, oh, he was was brutal at times. At times, you know, he'd even win 5 nothing in games and he'd come in and slaughter you. But one mistake you make, made. And I remember you used to walk off at half-time and, end of a game and maybe you talk to another player and he would say that I think I'm going to get it here I'm going to get it here and then true enough he just picks up the mistake and he's a perfectionist and, and he just goes through it and I suppose also the um, Alex Ferguson and Walter Smith shared um, Archie Knox just how, how important was Archie Knox for your <clears throat> well like Archie Archie was at Aberdeen he was he was like really a he was similar, very similar to Fergie. He was a hard nut. He'd have a go at you. But it, um, Rangers, he changed a little bit. Um, I'm not, he was more like a, a bit of a social convener kind of thing. He was, you know, he was fun with the players. And, and I think that was because, you know, there was real loud ups and gas coins came. And, but Archie was just a laugh a minute at, at Rangers. But, you know, I've spoken to one or two players since then and, that have, were still at Rangers at the time, and, and they said it's easy to be like that if you're winning all the time. Um, you know, as a everybody had a bit more rope to play with. Um, a few players got themselves into trouble, and um, they've sort of gone unnoticed. And I think that's just because the team is successful; they're winning all the time. And um, plus, it was it was in, in the six years' time there. I, I don't think there was a a bad spell really. Um, you know, might have lost one or two games or maybe two or three games, important games, but that's been about it. And um, and I, I think it was just the atmosphere was for the whole six years was incredible, really. I, su- I suppose, really, looking back at that era, the only thing, really, that a lot of Rangers fans did complain about was Europe. Um, and apart, obviously, 1992, we'd done really well and whatever happened with Marseille happened. But can, yeah. you put your, can you put your finger on just why it never really worked in Europe? Um, I, I think it was because at the time we were so dominant in Scotland. Um, I remember we we played, I think we played Partick at Fur Hill um, and I think we, we won 2-1 or 2-0 or something. And then three days later you're going to play Juventus away. Um, and I think it's, it's you know, we were a team that attacked all the time at, in, in Scotland and suddenly um, we didn't. I, I naturally knew that to defend more in, in playing in Europe. But we, we almost treated each game, you know, if you're playing against Partick Thistle, it's the same as playing against Juventus. And and I think you may have to change a little bit how... I mean, having been in coaching for a, a number of years, you know, you have to change a little bit and adapt a little bit to the teams you're playing against. And 
um, but I think those I think it's changed now. In those days, Scottish teams and British teams used to play 100 miles an hour, whereas um, teams like Ajax and and all that would you know just play possession and as soon as you pissed them off by hitting the post or something, they'd go up the park and score and then just play possession again. Um, but I, th- I think I think that might change a little bit more as well has changed because you remember when we played that successful year, there was only three foreign players or two, two or three foreign players allowed. Um, so it was all like blood and guts with the Scottish players. Um, but, you know, then Loudrops came and Gascoigne's came. And um, it's it's hard it's hard to tell because, you know, they've had spells. Um, Walter Smith, I think, got them to the, the UEFA Cup for Europa Cup, whatever it's called. But during that time, um, I just think it was the, the gulf between playing in Europe and, and playing in Scotland. It was just a bit too much and too big of a, a change um, going from one game to another. Uh, style of play as well, you're, you're definitely right with that. And I still think that's one thing that we are still quite far behind in, is managing yeah. games in Europe and stuff like that. Um, now, I know you're asked about this all the time, so I won't ask you about the incident. I'll just ask you, are you still pals with Joe Miller? Um, yeah, yeah. Now, well, whenever I see him, yeah. I've, he, actually, when I was at Aberdeen, I was, um, shared that I was roommates with him at Aberdeen. You know, when we were in the first team together, obviously he went to Celtic. And then <clears throat> he actually got invited to my wedding, but he couldn't, he was away on holiday or something. So, you know, and I've done a, a coaching course with Joe as well. So he's, you know, he's obviously a, still a, a friend, albeit we don't see too much of him. But um, he's, uh, you know, that night, I've, I've been asked a lot about it and people always, it's always like when you're playing against your, your friend, you, I'm not saying you try a little bit harder, but you don't want him to get the better of you. And then Archie Knox was was pretty good at winding me up all the time. Um, he would just say to me, "Make sure you you sort that wee fucking out in the first uh, <laughs> first five minutes." And I think he might have been a bit pissed off because it took me six minutes to sort him out. Um, but it was it was it was a, a lot of it to do with the conditions as well. But in those days, you know, if you listen to Terry Butcher's reaction when he's doing a commentary and he couldn't believe I was sent off, and I think in in today's game you might get banned for for a, a season or something after that challenge. It just shows you how the game's changed. And, and that was always the, the thing with a fullback was, you know, whoever you're up against, make sure you sort them out in the in the first couple of minutes. Um, <clears throat> and you had this thing as well, um, Archie, because Joe Miller, you know, as soon as you started giving him a, a few hits, his hands would disappear in the sleeves of his jersey. <laughs> and um, Archie would say things like, make sure, make sure that, make sure we Joe's hands disappear pretty quick. And then you'd hear a shout from the dugout. De- De- he used to call me Dixie. He said, Dixie, that's it. His hands have gone. His hands have gone. <laughs> so he's, that's what I'm saying. He was just, he was good. And then um, at halftime, after I got sent off, um, Willem, uh, which is uh, Walter Smith comes in and I'm thinking, oh my, I'm going to get it here. Oh, it's going to mm-hmm. be a disaster. Um, but, but before that, the old wooden stand at, Hamden, you, I knew there was a goal scored, and I'm, I, I presumed it was Celtic. And Wee Doddy comes in and said that uh, Coisty had scored, so that's uh, made me a little bit happier. Then Walter comes in and says, "What did he say?" And I just says, "Oh, I just told me to off his eye, fucking prick." He's a fucking <laughs> prick and all that stuff. So, um, so that was it. And in those days, going down to ten men almost meant that you were going to lose the game by, by definition. People didn't really come back to being down to 10 men back then. No, that's right. Yeah, and we did it again. We did it. We played Celtic at Ibrox in the, I think it was quarterfinals or semifinals of the League Cup. Peter Hooster got sent off 
I think it was Hately. Durant took the ball off uh, Gallo, Mike Galloway, and squared it to Hately. Hately scored, but I remember Hustler got sent off, and I think it was the the same season, and and that was the same one. You you beat them again. Just lastly on Rangers, then um, Tannadice nine in a row. I've heard many people talk about it, and what I kind of take from it is it was just more relief than than, than excitement, really. No, it was. Um, I think I think the big build-up was we were playing. Um, <coughs> who was it? Um, Motherwell was it Motherwell? Yeah, uh, we we're going to be playing yeah. Motherwell. Um, that was a big party. I think all the t-shirts were printed, all the banners, and that was a big party day. The the last home game, um, <coughs> and then. Um, Obviously, I think it was Owen Coyle scored two goals against us, or and we lost two ones. That was a bit of a downer. Um, and then we all knew that going to Tannadice was one of the hardest places to go and and win, particularly under the circumstances. I always found it a, a real difficult place to play, and um, you know, you want it was never an easy game. And when we did it, you're right, it was it was, it was a lot of emotions, a, a lot of relief, more than anything. Um, obviously, it was Richard Goff's last game, and. It was the last game that I played for Rangers, so um, it's never the same when you, when you win it at home. Um, it was a little bit when we, we won it at Broomfield once before, and it's not exactly the greatest place to to win the league um, at Broomfield. Um, but I think um, I think it was just, I think we're, we're still disappointed. And suddenly we felt you know Motherwell at home. It's a game that you should win and win the championship, and you do the lap of honour and things like that. And um, and then you had to go to Tannadice. It was was very very difficult, but. You know, it just shows you how it was meant to be. You know, Charlie Miller crossed the ball with his <laughs> foot and and, and, <laughs> and, um, and, and loud up heading it, which never happened. So, um, no, it was it was a relief, but it was it was a bit of um, a bit of sadness as well. Um, just obviously, it was the last time that I played for Rangers. Just just finally on Rangers, and I promise I won't keep you much longer. Playing for Rangers, obviously, you play in front of fifty thousand. You're you're paid well. You've got a good life. Is it is it enjoyable to play for Rangers under that amount of pressure, having to win every week, or is it more? Well, I, I think I think for me, I I loved every minute of it, and I, I every professional game I played, I always treated it as if I'll never play another game, and I'm, I'm fortunate to be where I am, um, and lucky as well. So I I was nothing better than running out of Tybrox in front of all the 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 home support, you know, and I was fortunate that in, in my time, Rangers supporters never turned against me and I've seen players, I remember Dave McPherson, um, he went through a bad spell when every time he got the ball, he was doing he was doing a donkey noise um, <laughs> when he was running down the wing with the ball and, and that's very, very difficult. I mean, yeah. I, so, I, I got a bit of stick when I went to Leeds United and I found it very hard, but to Rangers, I loved every, every minute of it and as I say, I was lucky that the Rangers supporters took to me and Never really, well, never had any, you know, I never got slaughtered from the sidelines, but I never heard it anyway. And then you, you left Rangers to go to, to go to Leeds. Now, I was a young boy, I was maybe eight or nine when you left. Yeah. And I, and I, play, and I played left back because of you, so yeah. um, you, you kind of broke my heart, but I'm not asking for any apologies or anything. Okay, okay, sorry, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but you, you went to Leeds and... You got a really bad injury and you didn't play much. Just, just how difficult was that to deal with mentally? Well, I think I, I mean I was very fortunate um, not to be injured. Um, and then I went there and my medical. Um, I knew as soon as I signed that after I got the the MRI scan in my knee, I knew I had an issue with my with my knee that I'd been playing for five years with. 
um, that was never really disclosed to me. So um, it was a bit of a shock and, and the deal almost fell through. And thankfully, George Graham had a holiday booked that night, so he forced it through because um, <laughs> he had a plane to catch. Otherwise, I might have had to beg Rangers to take me back. Um, but it was, it was hard. And I think as soon as I knew that I had an issue with my knee, I, I just wasn't the same. Um, even though... And when I first started at Leeds in pre-season, I was, you know, I was doing really well and, um, you know, pre-season games. In the first game, we played Arsenal at, at Elland Road um, up against Overmars and Ray Parler and Ian Wright. And, you know, I got a good, um, you know, a good um, sort of reception from everybody, the supporters and everything. Um, and then played Sheffield Wednesday, had a, a kicking match with Paolo De Canio. <laughs> um, he was there at the time, so um, that was that was um, good. And then suddenly George Graham decided that he just wanted me to defend. I didn't want me to overlap, and that took a lot out of my, my game. And and then I think it was after about thirty games into the season, um, we I, I walked for a header against Leicester, came down and my knee went, and and that was basically the beginning of the end, really. You know, because I'd no I'd no ACL in my in my left knee. So um, I'd been playing without, without it for four year, five years and didn't even know. And they say it was because I didn't know and my legs were strong enough for that to happen. Mm. So then because there was no um, ACL in my knee, there was so much wear and tear in, my, in the bones in my knee and the articular cartilage and, and, and what have you. So there was a good chance. I knew straight away that was a good chance I wouldn't play. Um, but then, you know, I, I took about a year to come back um, and that was really frustrating. Um, you know, George Graham at that point was great. He would look after me, maybe tell me to go take a break, go away on holiday, and 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 what have you. So it was good that way. I got involved a little bit with coaching as well at the time. But um, it's just seeing everybody train. It's hard. <clears throat> you know, it's okay if you're out for a few weeks, but when you're out for about a year, you see everybody training, and or you see people getting injured, and you're spending time with them, and suddenly they're out training again, and it just it makes you really really unhappy um, you know you go home and you're miserable and you're miserable with the kids and uh, with your family and what have you and it's just it's hard because it's all you want to do um, yeah, totally and then um, it, and then at the I, I mean I, I try to make a comeback um, I went to Barnsley I was going to go there on loan um, but my knee was in too bad condition so um, I then I would believe it or not I was actually I played a reserve game it was the last game I ever played well not Totally, but we played Aston Villa reserves and um, Jockey Scott and Eb Scovedal came to watch me play because they wanted to take me to Aberdeen or Dundee. Um, but after that game, I just knew my knee was gone, um, and and then I had to go to get my knee cleaned out again. And the what do you call it? The the surgeon says to me, he says that's it, you can't play at that level anymore. And um, it was actually like. It was a bit of a relief, really, because I was struggling for two years, you know, off and on, you know, injured, and your hamstring would go, your groins would go, some would always be going, because it's compensating for your knee, um, and it was almost being like a, like a horse waiting to get shot. Nah, you, you, you just know by that point then, don't you? Yeah, and then when he said, it was a bit of a relief when he told me that, because... You know, it was just that it was a slog, and uh, it was just it was just getting you down. Plus, at that point, I was what thirty, thirty-one. Mm. Well, final question then, because I've I've had you here for nearly an hour. Um, no problem. 
have you got any thoughts about your future in management, maybe outside Real Cashmere, or are you just totally focused on your, your Um Well, obviously, at some point, I'd like to, to go home, um, have a crack there. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a bit of an emotional tie here, because, like I said before, I've been here since the start. So I've just been here. Um, and obviously, the owners, he's fantastic. And, and it's something that, basically, together, we've built up something from virtually nothing. Um and it would be very difficult. I mean, last year I had a couple of opportunities to go somewhere else in India, but I decided obviously to to stay where I was because I I just would find it so hard someone else coaching the team. Um, but I, but again, I'm not I'm I'm realistic enough to know that you know I'm not going to be here forever. You know, it's like anywhere else it is. You know, once the club's more established, you lose a few games and anything can happen. But you know, at some point you'd like a another crack um, in Scotland. I think I was too young at um, Elgin and Montrose. I was only just stopped playing, um, you know, having been at Leeds United and Rangers and, you know, suddenly you're going to, you know, part-time clubs when you've got, you know, players that come to training once a week. Um, yeah. And then, particularly in Elgin, we had players in Dundee, Inverness, Aberdeen, Glasgow, nobody trained together. You just had to hope for the best that it worked on a, on a Saturday. So it's... You know, I've learned a lot, and I think being in real Kashmir, there's, there's not much more to learn about. Not even not so much the game, but anything outside the game, because whatever's whatever disaster every manager's had collectively in in the UK, I've had it all here in two years. <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, and more. As well, yeah, I've, I've seen the news. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, David, thanks very much for joining us and, and taking time out your day to, to talk to us. No problem, anytime.